The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Our guest this morning is Paula Cole-Jones. If you don't already know who she is, let me give you a little introduction. Paula Cole-Jones is the founder of Adore, a dialogue on race and ethnicity. She is a former president of DRUM, diverse, revolutionary, Unitarian, Universalist, multicultural ministries. She's an independent consultant who specializes in multicultural competencies and institutional change she has served in our denomination as Congregational Life Consultant in the Central East region. She is also a lifelong member of All Souls Unitarian Church in Washington, D.C. And she is the co-author and one of the leaders of our effort around introducing an eighth principle into Unitarian Universalism. Currently, 46 congregations in our movement, along with the UU Ministry for the Earth and a couple of state action networks have signed on already in support of this principle. Paula Cole-Jones says she expects that by the end of this year, that number will have doubled with so many congregations in discussion who have already set a date for a vote as we have for May or June of this year. Paula Cole-Jones and I talked a couple of times and the last time was a taped conversation of 90 fabulous minutes, where we talked about a range of issues and questions around this idea of the eighth principle that's being proposed. The conversation ranged from why in addition to our existing seven principles, why this one now, how it might change our communities, what work it is asking of us individually as Unitarian Universalists to do, what work it is asking us to do in our congregations. We talked about the word accountability and accountable and what that means for us in this work. I have chosen a 20-minute excerpt from the conversation. We'll dive in when we are in the process, the tail end of a conversation around that accountability piece but it loops through theology and our vision for Unitarian Universalism, how we think all of this work will change us. So I welcome you into the middle of a wonderful conversation of a topic we are deep in discussion about. I welcome you into a conversation with Paula Cole-Jones and me. More of it is available online if you wanna to listen to more of where this time took us. Here we go. I guess the other piece I was thinking about around this idea of accountability and kind of, you know, what will a post eighth principle, you know, church look like in part because of the account, how we bring in accountability. And I've been thinking about the fact that one of the things I think that, you know, probably all Unitarian Universalists need to do to some degree is, um, but certainly our white Unitarian Universalists. And this is something that Robin D'Angelo talks about in, in white fragility and is, is 
to get back to an, our earlier point about sort of we did our justice in the world, but we didn't always think about how it had to happen in accountably among us, um, is I think we're, you know, we're going to have to let go of the notion of ourselves as the good people. I can, I can see where that becomes a barrier to our ability to see ourselves clearly, that we're, you know, there is this sense like we are the progressives. Therefore, you know, we might have to learn what more progressive work, more and more progressive work looks like in the world and educate ourselves about the issues in the world. But, but that can be this, this um, barrier to seeing the ways in which we participate individually or we have accepted and embody in our worldview or in, our, in the ways we act in the world cultural paradigms that are um, harmful. Does that make sense? Well, uh, as, I, as I listen to you, I, um, along with the eighth principle, I, I propose that we make an identity shift in our congregations uh, from seeing church as a family to seeing church as a community of communities. Because I think that learning to uh, respect and nurture the communities within the church and uh, exterior to the church that's where we will practice beloved community. Um, church as a family is uh, just, a, it's a limitation to who we really are and to our ability to do inclusion unknowingly. I think it limits our ability to do inclusion. And this is a conversation that requires a lot more, more work. Yeah. But in the, in a community of communities which already exists, we, we learn how to be a part of a community, part of a collective in a different way where our individual selves and needs and preferences are not, yeah. are not more important than this work that we are talking about, that we see ourselves as a part of it. And in fact, I'm going to say something that's quite challenging. The Unitarian Universalist principles are universal to the extent that they help us to see ourselves as part of the multicultural community. If our principles don't help us to see ourselves as part of this multicultural world, then they have little relevance in the multicultural context. How does that happen? We have to make that happen. That's the leap that we have to take. And the eighth principle then is a bridge for us to help us to see ourselves as part of this beautiful mosaic or complex human you know, existence of communities. And certainly we see ourselves there, but that's not the practice and it's, it's a dominant culture, multicultural shift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because in the Fogs lecture that you did, which is great, and I um, encourage anyone who hasn't already watched it to, to watch it, 
you talk about going from this notion of family, this metaphor, and metaphors are, are powerful, right? We in Very religious powerful. life traffic in metaphors, so uh, so we know that. And the idea of, of, of moving from this metaphor of family to this metaphor of a community of communities is useful because families have culture and rules, and everybody learns the rules of the family, and you can challenge them a little, but, um, but what it means to be family is to kind of agree to to be bound by this culture, you know, what Christmas looks like in our house is this, or what Kwanzaa looks like in our house is this. And when we go on vacations, it looks like this. And, you know, this is the way we have fights in our family. And, and I think what I hear you saying in the, in the community of communities is, is to recognize that, that what it means to be beloved community for us is anybody who wants to be in this religious community and conversation with us, who shares our basic uh, faith and philosophical commitment and agrees to be together has to acknowledge that the way you do things or see things, the culture of your small group, even within the congregation, there will be these small groups that, that see the world similarly and probably often gravitate to be together, but to always be aware of the fact that your small group may do things in a way that is not the way that everybody has to do it in order to be welcome, right? That you're, you're constantly asking how have I centered my way of being? And it isn't that everybody else who does it differently is wrong. You know, it's that they do it differently. And so how, how do we, how do we break open our paradigm, which, which for me feels like it will have many different forms. And one of those big forms, that's going to be the big one for, for our communities, many of our communities to break is, is to realize how often the family norm is whiteness. And how often we center whiteness and to see whiteness as a family. And there are many families, right? Or a community that has. This is how we do things, right? Yeah. Right. And, and I think when as as someone who's white growing up in a world that is white centered, it doesn't occur to you ever that it's white centered. I mean, unless you have some experience that, that takes you out of, out of your context. So one of the big ways of doing that is, is to begin to ask how much being the, the family of whiteness <laughs> is not the only family and to look at how other families. Um, I mean, I see that literally in my own family because my husband is Indian and from a particular community in India and there are many. And so literally I step into his family and it's influenced by a host of different things, Catholicism, you know, uh, the Goan kind of Portuguese influenced heritage and Indian heritage. And so, you know, what I took as the norm of my family, as I think we have, many of us have had this experience to realize that it's, it's, it's not a norm. It's just the way your quirky family. Is. <laughs> That's right. But it's much harder to do when it's about whiteness, which is so embedded, which I think is, is what we're asking everybody to, in our communities to start doing and, and which the eighth principle is asked, is, is asking us to do not, not directly, but it's, that's key to the work. Yeah, and the and the practice. So this takes us back to the theological question that we have a respect for pluralism, right? Um, and so what about cultural pluralism, right? That pluralism should apply not just to theology or, or a person's religious uh, approach, but to... Um, to who we are, so uh, this is this is an issue around multi generationalism, right? There's mm. a dominant 
there's a dominant culture in the church around age and mm. we act that out and so for you know churches can pay attention to what their age demographic is and if you don't have a, a lot of young people i think our churches should be overflowing with young adults because what we consider uu values or theology is everyday life for young people but does the culture fit? Is there a place for young people in Unitarian Universalism culture or, or culturally? Are we so skewed towards one age group that, that younger mm -hmm. people can't find their place? You know, the same thing around racial identity, you know, is the dominant culture. We have to keep in mind families were not really about inclusion. It's very careful selection. Very careful. In a community of communities, that changes, right? So you can you can have a place and support a thriving uh, young younger community or thriving communities of people of color or people with different religious beliefs or people with different abilities there it just opens it so much where that becomes a practice and not an add-on or not an mm. exception it becomes the central practice that that's who we are that's what we're looking out for i think in terms of communities also around our interests you know there's there are music communities and churches People come to, I've talked with people who come to churches to be a part of a book group. They were not UUs, and 30 years later, they're still there in the church, still a part of the book group, but still there in the church. So this is going on all the time. And what I'm saying is, let's make that central to who we are. Let's make that our identity. So I say we, Unitarian Universalists, are a community of communities living our values in the world and working to build the beloved community. That's how I see us or how I want to see us in the future, right? So in that community of communities, what binds us together with all the differences that we would be making room for as part of our practice, I think of in sports, you talk about keeping bent knees a lot of times in basketball and volleyball, because you never know what direction you're going to have to move. And it feels to me like it becomes a culture about living with bent knees, like able to be fluid and move in many different directions. Um, and, you know, not sort of, not this idea of staking your place and, you know, putting your stake in the ground as a, maybe a, another opposite metaphor. But in a, in a place where there's so many different communities that you make space for, what I heard you say is what then unifies us, what, weaves through us and holds us together, because that's often a concern with Unitarian Universalism, is what holds us together, are our fundamental values and our shared pursuit of the work of being in Beloved and always making and remaking the world into Beloved community. Yes, I think so. But also, and, and so this is what that might look like in practice, then our ministries become about the, the care and nurturing of those communities, right? And, and the well-being between the communities. If we can create that, 
the communities will look out for the well-being of the people who are part of it. And, and these communities are permeable. It's not like they're stagnant. You know, we're not talking about building silos or cliffs or anything like that. We're talking about having places that hold people, right? Where you can be a part of a group um, and, and, and really find that deep sense of connection to Unitarian Universalism and to the people in, in the community and the wider community. So it's, it's a shift from where we have been in the past where individualism kind of goes without question. We don't lose who we are individually, but we begin to center the practice of, of supporting communities, our own and communities that are different from our own, right? Or, mm-hmm. or may have different expressions, right, from our own. It's a very different practice. And um, it, if we do this, I think growth is inevitable. I just think it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. It'll happen. Mm-hmm. Our churches will be healthier systems. There'll be so many more ways for people to come in and to find a connection. But then we also will have different relationship with the world around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of, right, and I think for folks who are white, who are used to the culture being defined by them, it, it will be a, a learning curve to realize that there is not one culture and it is not defined as the thing that you are most comfortable with or that it has many elements of the things that thing that you are once, you know, most comfortable with. But one of the things that I've heard in our conversations, and I really appreciate, I used to, I'm a UU Christian, and I used to really be bothered. I still am bothered by people who, who are out in the world defining what Christianity is. Christianity is this incredible tradition, um, you know, and, and even what gets decided, you know, in the Council of Nicaea is decided by a vote, right? Our, our spiritual ancestors, Origen and Arius, you know, who's, who were controversial and heretical in their beliefs, they were just voted off the island, but they were just as Christian, just as grounded in the early foment of, of ideas and, and interpretation of the life of Jesus and the ministry we were called to. And so when people say, this is what it means to be Christian, and if you don't believe that you're not Christian, I always hate that. I think, well, who gave you the trademark? Show me the papers that God or Jesus gave you with the trademark of what it means to be Christian. Uh, nobody gets that. We, we all own this tradition and get to interpret it. And what I'm hearing also in this conversation around the eighth principle is, is nobody has a trademark on, on what Unitarian Universalism is or what it looks like, right? All of the people who come to us drawn by Unitarian Universalist values and goals as a community for beloved community, which, you know, I agree is, is ultimately what we're all aiming for. They all own this tradition. We all own this tradition together. So, it's like to unhook people who felt like they've had an, uh, an, an unfair sense of ownership on the tradition because, because it was white centric to begin to realize, no, you've got to unhook. You know, that was a false sense of ownership. That was a false trademark. That didn't actually That's have right. any appropriate stamp of, you know, of official approval. That was just, that was just an assumption you made. And so you're not losing anything except something that you're, you never deserve to have. Yeah. Right. We're creating more right. space. I grew up in a Unitarian Universalist church. We had an African-American senior minister for 23 years. The church was diverse, about 50-50, some say 60-40. 
that is my UU experience. You know, so it's very different. It's funny when you talked about being voted off the island. I kind of feel that around the vote for the eighth principle. Mm. Just the fact that we have to bring it to a vote. Mm. Think about that. Mm -hmm. We should already be it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that we're going to vote on it means that, you know, some churches could vote no. What does that mean? Do we get voted off the island, right? Think about that. Well, there again, it's about decentering whiteness, right? To, you know, to think in the course, to always have in mind as a white person, the course of the conversation, not just what do I think about this principle and do I understand it? And, you know, do I think it belongs among the principles and all the conversations that we're having? But at each point that we're having that conversation, we're asking those questions. Are we centering our own white experience or are we trying to imagine and center the experience of our BIPOC beloved, right? Because um, that's part of, the, I think that that's part of the, the, the most painful parts of the conversations that, that we're having. It is. And, yeah. and while you say that, let's, let's go back and let me, let me say, it was the seventh principle that convinced me our principles are inadequate for what it is we're up to. Is the seventh principle, the respect for the interconnected web of life, of existence of which we all are a part. For me, for so many years, that's where this was held. And when we talk about, and when I talk about multicultural, I mean more than multiracial. I'm talking about all of the groups of people who have been marginalized for many different reasons, right? So the seventh principle, for me, my interpretation, the interconnected web of life of which we all our part. Now I have a science background, environmentalist background. I held that one very dear. But when I started moving around the country, working with congregations and over and over again, I'm hearing an environmental interpretation. And maybe that's what the original intent was. I don't know. But through my lens, that's where the multicultural human community was held too as part of that interconnected web of existence but over and over and over again i heard the interpretation is like we were not on the island right Mm. it's like it was environmental and i i say this often it was a painful realization for me to see that for so many people that was not where our work around multicultural and, and inclusion multiculturalism and inclusion resided. And so it's like, it was very clear to me that our principles cannot do the job that we say we want to do because we were not explicit because we can assume that we get it, that we're doing it. It is implied in each of the principles, but it gets interpreted through us individually. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it, it just... You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I can hear the arguments that it's, right, that's one of the arguments that it's implied in the other principles. Of course, there are two things. One is one of our members said, and I think it's brilliant, is that those principles aren't actually like the boiled down essentials. I thought of them that way, but they're not. And one, one thing that one member pointed out um, is that, uh, like, it says we're committed to democracy. Why is democracy a boiled down component? It's not, but it's just that in the, in the course of writing them, we thought there were certain things we wanted to make explicit because we didn't want to leave them open to interpretation, right? So we have to rethink. I had to rethink the principles and say like, oh, actually, right. Some of these things are not necessarily boiled down principles. They are 
and are a stake in the ground and underlining, putting a word in there so nobody could think that benign dictatorship actually does respect the worth and dignity of all people in the interdependent web and, and justice. A benign dictator probably could actually represent the vast majority of those things. But we wanted to make sure no one would interpret it that way. We wanted democracy was key to us. So democracy is a word that's in there. The principles, they, they are a, an amalgam of things that periodically we decide actually something else needs to be explicit. It, I thought it was in there, but not everybody thinks it's in there. And it's so important that we're going to put it in there. Right. And, and de facto, the work of racial equity and dismantling white supremacy de facto is not happening is what I, is what I'm, you know, what I'm hearing and what I think is true. And so this conversation is about, okay, well, if it's not happening, then, then it isn't in there explicit enough. And it's too important to not have the work get accelerated. Right. So, and so how do we shine a spotlight on it? We add it in. So when we say them, when people read them, when they come and they ask, but I thought your principles say that you're committed to beloved community and, you know, this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion and dismantling supremacy, like they will hold us accountable. The new members, right? It's all explicitly in there. The way and we'll we, hold ourselves. We and we'll hold ourselves accountable. Yeah. Right. And we'll hold ourselves accountable. Right. But there are enough of us in Unitarian Universalism who can see, you know, where we're replicating the old historic norms, cultural norms, um, that actually form, you know, become barriers to people mm -hmm. being able to, to have a sense of, of presence and belonging. Well, thank you for your imagination, a religious imagination about who we might be together and thank you, you know, for helping to ask us to be accountable to a larger imagination. Yeah. yeah. It's always thank been you. how we move forward, but it's, it's, you know, I want to thank you for being a person who's part of that work right now. So we are certainly having very rich, very complicated, sometimes hard conversations just in talking about what it would mean to vote yes for the eighth principle. And those conversations don't feel like they're just about the eighth principle, right? They're about no, they're exactly beginning to unpack this work. And it's clearly going to be generative. It is generative already. So yeah, this is our unfinished so business. Mm. Yeah. Thank you very <laughs> this much. Is <laughs> this is our verb. I want to thank you for your your um, your wisdom and your leadership and and uh, your your um, embrace of the complexity of the human experience and church life and this whole process of our our spiritual maturation. So, thank you very much. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.